The following audio is from the Grove Church Snohomish campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, welcome everybody. Hey, can we give our worship team today a huge hand? You guys did awesome today. Our main, our main worship leader, Scott Ledger, is out of town, and these, this awesome team, that's great, guys. Thank you so much. This awesome team stepped up and did a great job, and so if you see them in the uh, lobby today, razz them, tell them they were singing on key, tell them they looked good, tell Emily her earrings are awesome, just make sure they feel loved today. Are you happy to be in church? Oh, let's try that again. Are you happy to be in church today? There we go. Hey, it's okay. Our team's not in it, but Jesus is in it. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Hey, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, New Testament, um, towards the back, Galatians chapter 5, as well as Philippians 4, 8. My wife Amanda and I are the campus pastors here. We're so thankful that you're here today and we continue our series called Life Hacks. We're talking about uh, just this idea like we all do in life. We're trying to find simpler ways to do things. We do this a lot with hacks in life, easier, simpler, simpler cheaper ways of doing things. That's, that's what the series has been about. And it's been focused out of Philippians 4.8, a very passage uh, that most people know um, if you've grown up in church, but even if you don't know, it's a pretty easy one to remember. Philippians 4, it'll be up on the screen here. It says, uh, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Everyone say, think about these things. Everyone say, think about these things. All right, I like it, I like it. So we've been talking about the idea of our mind and what we're thinking about and what we're dwelling on. I want to highlight last week as well, I thought Elijah Angelo, is he in the room here yet or is he doing some tech stuff for us? I don't think he's in the room, but Elijah did a great job last week speaking. Can we give him a huge hand? He did awesome. And um, Elijah runs our student ministry here and does a great job and I was super proud of him. Uh, he talked last week about how to handle the truth. We focused on the word whatever is true. And he talked about how that Christ's truth breaks Satan's lies. And I thought he did an incredible job at delivering that message for the very first time to adults. You know, I told him, man, students are fun to speak to. Adults are lame, okay? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But he did awesome. He hung through and uh, he, he's, he's a good kid. Um, today, we're gonna be talking about this idea of uh, nobility or honor or right thinking, what what. What does it mean to think on uh, honor and nobility and right thinking? And so uh, that's the focus of today's message. You know, if you were a, a Jewish boy or girl growing up with Moses at the time of Moses' life and the people of Israel, and even as Brittany talked about, you know, the big story of them wanting to leave uh, the rule and the, the lordship of Pharaoh, and that whole scenario Brittany talked about already a little bit when she spoke, but if you were a young Jewish boy or girl, at, at times life might have been very challenging for you because there was the law, okay? This massive undertaking of the law of the Levitical covenant. And it, if you have been following along in the Bible reading plan, as a church every single year, we decide to read the entire Bible together um, through the YouVersion app or through the you know, hard copy. 
And uh, it's kind of been dipping into Leviticus here and there. And uh, man, you gotta, hold, you gotta hang on tight when you're reading Leviticus because it's just absolutely boring as heck. Anyone with me? But um, so in, in, throughout the book of Leviticus, though, you, you kind of see this, this played out with this idea of the law and how maybe at times it was very difficult. Uh, for example, if you had a skin disease, you were supposed to do this. Uh, if you were guilty of a sin, you were supposed to, to do this. There were laws for guilt offerings. There were laws for sacrifices. There were laws for worship. There were laws for grain. There were laws for marriage. There were laws for family. There were laws, 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 law after law after law after law after law after law. I mean, tons of laws kind of like Washington State. No, I'm just kidding, but tons of laws, okay? Tons and tons of laws. Yes, they laughed at the first joke. This is already a good day. All right, tons and tons of laws. And, and, and really, if you were a young boy or girl, I mean, sure, life might have been enjoyable for you, but there were a lot of things and a lot of rules and a lot, a lot of stipulations and a lot of don't do this and do that and do this and do that and do it this way and do it that way and don't do it that way, but do it this way and that way. And so you have to understand that not only were there all these laws, but then there was a government established with people and a hierarchy to enforce and make sure that these laws were taking place. When Jesus comes on the scene, he sums up all these laws and what we know today as the golden rule. And he says it in Matthew 7, 12. It says, so in everything, do to others what you, what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus took all of the 600 and something laws that God had created through Moses' leadership, and Jesus summed it up in what we know today as this golden rule, that whatever you do, do to others as you would want them to do unto you. And at times, though, even though we know that Jesus came, and we know that he fulfilled the law, some authors and people believe Jesus abolished the law, because that's what he actually said, that he came to fulfill all that the law came to do. Some of us still struggle, if we're being honest, and we're talking today about how to have morals, how to have honor, how to do the right thing, think the right thing. Some of us still struggle today, if we're honest, I'm me included, where is the line? Like, where is the line for the Christian? Like, what am I allowed to do and not do? Anybody with me here? Okay, yeah, all right. Like, can I do this and can I do that? And we struggle with this and we, we termed it, we've been termed before in different ways. I term it today, uh, behavior modification. Okay, we, we wanna know what the behaviors are. We wanna know what the rules are. And sometimes when we talk about morality or we talk about morals or we talk about living rightly, we're always trying to figure out what we can and can't do. I mean, you take driving as an example. This wasn't in my notes. So I was just thinking about this. I mean, some of us in here, if the speed limit is 60, you go what? You go 60. That's just you. Like, you're like, that's the law, folks, okay? The speed limit is 60, all right? Some of you in here, you're like, if the speed limit's 60, I, I can get away with going, you know, five over. I mean, I'll... I'll I'll crank it up to a big old 65, you know, five over. I mean, if a cop pulls me over for five over, that guy or gal's got issues, right? All right, can I hear an amen to that? Okay, and then there's some people in the room like, oh, it's, it's 60, all right, I'm gonna pull an 80, you know what I mean? It's like, you just don't even care, okay? You're like, ticket or no ticket, I got somewhere to be, all right? And, and that, but that's what it is even for the Christian life. We, we wanna know what it is we can and can't do and what is morality, 
There's some arguments here that get played out with this kind of thinking. See, some people still today, and I know tons of them, and I live all around them, and I shop with them at grocery stores, and we have conversations. Some people have a huge issue with Christianity and oppose Christianity primarily because they look at Christianity as a don't do this, do that. They have looked at Christianity as something of rules and like kind of a straitjacket in a sense. Rather than looking at Christianity as a freedom, looking at Christianity as something that you can, you know, live in the freedom of what Christ has done, they look at it as, you know, Christians are boring. Christians don't know how to have fun. Christians don't party. Christians don't do this. Christians don't do that. And I don't want to do any of those things. I want to continue to do those things, excuse me, so I don't want to become a Christian. And so there's an argument against Christianity for that. The other side of that argument that is true is that the church, not just any church, is sometimes no better. That at times the church has communicated that in order to be a Christian, you have to do these things. And if you don't do these things, you cannot be a follower or a disciple of Jesus. And so even the church, and I've been guilty of this, has preached a behavior modification gospel that has to do with managing people's lives rather than getting to the heart of the gospel of Jesus, which is this. Rather than focusing on behavior modification, Christ came to focus on the heart He wanted and still wants our hearts. But somehow the message has become less about him wanting our hearts and more about whether or not you watch rated R movies or not. That's what this, that this is, this is a struggle when we talk about how to have morals, how to have honor and thinking. A lot of times, even in today, we want to add to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to say, well, you can believe in Jesus as long as you did. Fill in the blank. Now, here's where it gets real tricky. Sometimes in the church setting, we want people, if we're honest, maybe you've heard this before, we really want people to behave before they can belong to the family of God. We want them to behave. Be like us, act like us, believe like us, think like us, talk like us, walk like us. And as long as you do, come on in. We are family. But the minute you do this or that or this, or wait, you don't believe that, what, that, 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 oh, you're one of those Christians. It's getting all quiet in here now. Yeah, this is some good preaching. Um, and here's the tension. This tension is happening in Galatians. This is the very tension happening in the book of Galatians. That Paul, remember him, wrote a lot of the New Testament. Paul Changed his name to Saul, Paul, Saul, same dude. Sometimes he was still referred to Saul, even though he had this name change. Paul had this vision of Jesus, Acts 9, experienced the revelation of who Christ was and said, man, I got to stop persecuting the church. I got to start praising the church and I'm going to plant churches. That's why we have all these letters from him. And he knew the law and he knew the rules and he knew the establishment of the, the, the entire Torah. He knew the whole thing. He was from Jewish descent. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew everything. He was more of an expert than you and I would ever be in the law. He knew Leviticus by the back of his hand because he was trained up in it and understood it and recognized the power of it. But yet Paul 
as he established the ministry of Christ and realized what Christ came to do, Paul began to speak a different message that Christ has now come to fulfill this law and now he's with the Galatians and he's writing to them and what's happening is they're struggling with the same things that you and I struggle with. They're wanting to add to the gospel. They're wanting to add things to the message of Christ and Paul is furious with them. In some letters, he says to people, I love you. This is like Philippians. I love you. You're an amazing church. You're amazing people. You're generous. You're sacrificial. Love Paul. In Galatians, he's like, I'm ticked. What are you doing? I'm mad. Why are you believing this? Different tone, not happy. Paul's mad. Okay, this is Galatians today. And here's what he says in 3.1, just so you can understand. Imagine you're a part of his church when he says this to you in a letter. Okay, this would be like me writing to you at your home and you open this in your mailbox. Okay, oh foolish people. 3.1 here, oh foolish people. Imagine if my first letter in the sentence in my letter to you was, hey foolish people, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. What, what, what happened? What, 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 how did you get so far off from believing something different than what I came to, to speak to you and tell you the truth of the gospel? Where, where, where did you wander and, and go to a different place here? And in Galatians 5, he's, he's calling the church, he's calling them to understand that this idea of freedom in Christ, this idea that when we accept Christ and his love and his mercy into our lives, when we experience salvation, we experience freedom. We experience wholeness. We experience satisfaction. And he's trying to get them to understand this because they're falling back into this trap of wanting to mix and match the law with the new covenant, the old and the new together. He says this in verse 13 here. We're gonna stay in chapter five for today. He says in verse 13 of chapter five, for you were called to freedom. Everyone say freedom. freedom. Brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Here's that golden rule that... Um, he sums up here. Christ here summed it up. Paul sums it up again. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Now he's going to go on to the rant of flesh versus spirit. He does this a lot in his letters. He's going to do it again for us today. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are what? You are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enemy, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, divisions, dissensions. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these I warned you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's a great list here to live by. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Everyone say, against such things, there is no law. You guys are awake today. I'm loving it. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray for God's word today. God, we thank you. In Christ, we are free. We thank you, God. In Christ, things are different today. We thank you, God, in Christ. We're no longer in the old. We are new in Christ. And in that newness, we can have life and wholeness and freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, but do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. He's saying in Christ, because of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, you and I are free. John 8, 32 says it differently. Elijah quoted it last week. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. You're free from the law. You're free from those desires. You're free. He's saying, but now that you're free, this freedom that you experience, this incredible opportunity to now know Christ, look what he says here in verse 13. But do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Paul's saying, this, this whole law, this whole thing that was established, you are now free from it. And in this freedom, the expression of the freedom that you have in Christ, the highest expression of it will be in this way, serve one another in love. Use your freedom to serve one another in love. Use your freedom to help those around you. He sums up the golden rule. All the law and the prophets are summed up in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He goes on to talk about the power of walking by the Spirit, to be daily led by his guidance and direction. Now, it's interesting here. We have two lists, right? We have the bad one. We have the good one. We have the works of the flesh. He says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, and he lists out all these terms, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, all these different things. And I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the issue is not, well, I just do, I just do whatever the heck I wanna do and I still get to experience life abundantly and eternal life. That is not the issue here. Paul dealt with that in a different letter. He said, if you continue to sin that grace may abound, no, you're actually taking advantage of the grace that God's been offered to you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer dealt with that as well when he termed it cheap grace. It means when we take advantage of the grace that God's been offered to us and the freedom we've been offered through the work of Christ. So we must recognize that there, there's definitely a way to live. There's definitely morals to have. There's definitely morality to live by, but it all stems from where it comes from. Does it come from the outflow of the inside of my heart? He says that there's gonna be this battle of morality in our lives. There's gonna be this battle of our thinking of whether or not to think with our flesh and think with our natural desires or think with our spirit man and our spiritual desires. There's gonna constantly be this waging of war until eternity of which one we're gonna lean into. 
and we choose. We either choose to walk by the Spirit of God or we choose to walk by our flesh. Now, I like what he says here with the good list. He says, the fruit of the Spirit, we know this, is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control. And against such thing, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. See, what Paul's saying is that there's something bigger going on for the Christ follower. There's something, there's something deeper going on for the Christ follower. There's now a higher standard. If, if the law was this golden rule that I, that I quoted earlier that all of us know, this, ba- this basic golden rule that so in everything, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. There's now something higher that Christ followers are called to. There's something even deeper that the law, that, th- that these fruits of the spirits are actually above the law now. That love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control are above the law. They're beyond that and there's something even higher that the Christ follower is called to. See, our, our moral compass is the person of Jesus Christ. That, that is where morality comes from. That is where the moral compass of how we're supposed to live is his demonstration of his life, his love, his example. Jesus gave us this example in John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as Christ has loved you. Let me just say it one more time here. It'll be on the screen for you here. John 15, 12. Jesus gives us this example. This is my commandment, that you love one another as Christ has loved you. Let me read you a quote here from Pastor Andy Stanley at North Point Church. He says it like this. Jesus didn't tether his new command to anchor all Jewish commands and how they were traditionally tethered to love for, fear of, dedication to God. Jesus tethered his new command to this, and this is big, to himself. Again, he inserted himself into an equation mere mortals have no business inserting themselves into. He goes on to write, the eye to the sky days were coming to an end. The litmus test for being a bona fide Jesus follower was not the ritualistic day of the week, festival, drive, don't forget your goat, worship of an invisible and somewhat distant God. He goes on, following Jesus would not be about looking for ways to get closer to God who dwelled out there, up there, somewhere. Jesus' followers would demonstrate their devotion by putting God, by, I'm sorry, their devotion to God by putting the person next to them in front of them. Jesus' followers weren't expected to look up. They, authent- they authenticated their devotion by looking around. Now let me read you some verses to highlight this here. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, Love your wives as your wife loves you. Nope, doesn't say that. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to her, for her. Philippians 2.5, have this mind among yourselves, 
which is yours in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3, 12 through 13, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as they forgive you. No, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. This is my commandment, that you love one another as Christ has loved you. Andy Stanley writes, he calls it the platinum rule. Do to others as Christ has done for you. Just leave that on the screen for today. Do to others as Christ has done to you. See, it's a higher calling for the Christ follower. It's bigger than the golden rule. It's deeper than the golden rule. Why? Because if I do to others as they have done to me, I can escape that. I can go, well, that person didn't really do that to me, so I can just kind of do that to them. What Jesus is saying when he puts himself as the example, he's saying, do to others as Christ has done for you. That means that in every relationship I have, every person I interact with, where I live, where I work, what I do with my life and with people, I should treat them in the way that Christ has treated me. That's, that's the moral. That's the morality right there. That's the litmus test. Do to others as Christ has done for you. This is my commandment, that you love one another as Christ has loved you. Let me give you some how-tos here and flesh this out for the rest of our time here today. If we're gonna talk about this idea of honor thinking, honorable thinking, right thinking, to think differently, to think in an honorable way about people and how our mind should think towards that. If that's what we're gonna talk about today, I, I wanna give you a couple of hacks here that I think will apply this platinum rule, do to others as Christ has done for you. Number one, we love first and we feel later. We love first and we feel later. Jesus' new commandment compels us to do something before we feel something. If we're gonna live by this new command, I command you to love others as Christ has loved you, it means that my expression of Christ in this world is to love others despite how I feel. Because the feelings will go up and down and the feelings will change over time. But because of what Christ has done in my life, it means I must love my wife as Christ loves the church. Do I always feel like that? No. But because of what Christ has done, I have to love first despite the feeling. I may not be in the mood to love the person that I work with. I may not be in the mood to love the family member that's coming over. I may not be in the mood to love what's happening in my life right now, but Christ calls me and compels me to do to others as Christ has done for you. Meaning I must love them the way Christ has loved me. Number two here, if we're gonna have this thinking of honor and honoring towards others and honoring others that we live with and work with, and hang out with. Don't ask, what have they done for me lately? Ask, what has Jesus done for me lately? Think about that. If, we're, if, if, the, if faith expressing itself in love, that's what it is, faith is expressing itself in love. I have freedom now, I'm not bound to the law, I have freedom to love, I have freedom to worship, I have the freedom to, to, to praise God, I have the freedom to pray. If that's what all this is, just faith expressing itself in love, then the question I should not be asking myself is, well, what have they done for me lately? 
Well, well why do I have to do that? They, they, they haven't done anything for me. I mean, they, they, they weren't generous. They, they, they didn't help me move. They, they, they didn't show up. It's not the litmus test for you and I. The, the, the litmus test is not to compare ourselves to one another and go, well, as long as they did that for me, I'll do that for them. As long as they meet me here, I'll meet them there. That's not the line, my friends. The line is this. What has Christ done for me lately? What did Christ do for me lately? What is he doing for, what did he do for me two hours from now, five hours from now, tomorrow? What has Christ done for me lately? And if he has served me, laid down his life for me, if he washed my feet, if he took my sin upon the cross, if he died in my place for my sin and his great sacrifice, then man, that filter changes radically on what I do and how I show honor and how I think rightly about the ways I interact with people. This is my commandment, that you love one another as Christ has loved you. Don't ask, what have they done for me lately? Ask, what has Jesus done for me lately? I want you to think about that just for a minute here today. Because I believe that a lot is said in a message, but more than anything, I want you to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you today because you're gonna leave and experience the rest of your day and week. And I want you to think about, God, where are you wanting me to honor and show this care towards someone in my life? Where? Where, where are you calling me to love as Christ loves me? Where is that? I mean, I mean, let's be honest, it's easy to love people in a Sunday gathering like this. It's easy to put on the face and, and, and make it seem like everything's good right here in, in this moment. It's much difficult to walk out of here today and go, okay, God, if, the, if this platinum rule is to do to others as Christ has done for me, then where are you calling me to do that when I walk out of this room today? Who in my life should I be honoring who in my life should I be thinking differently towards? Who, who in my life should I be serving and expressing my faith in that way? Let me pray for you today. God, I just thank you so much that God, there's freedom in this place, Lord. We're not bound to all these rules and stipulations. We're not bound to behavior modification and making sure we always get it right, God. We're bound to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We're bound to the event of the resurrection. And in that, God, there is new life. In that, God, there is freedom. In that, God, there is hope and goodness and faith expressing itself in love. And so, Lord, I don't know where you're calling each and every person to honor someone, to think higher thoughts about that person. But I do. I just pray, God, that you would show us who, where, when, God, 
Where is that person in my life that I must do as you have done for me, God? What relationship? Is it my parents? Is it my spouse? Is it my boss? Is it my neighbor? Is it my coworker? Is it my friend? Show us where we can express our faith in love. And we thank you, God, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all of these fruits of the Spirit are above the law. They supersede it in every way. And we thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we wrap up today, I want to highlight just a couple of things we have coming up in our church. Uh, some cool stuff. First of all, we have Nitro. It's a, a one-day conference for kids. Great opportunity for kids in Grove Kids to experience an awesome, incredible day with Crystal and her awesome team and thousands of kids worshiping Jesus together. It's a pretty cool environment. Uh, you can sign up for it on grovesnohomish.info. You can also get information about it in the lobby here today. The other one, uh, Elijah mentioned it, but we have winter camp for our students coming up. I believe it's the weekend of President's Day. I think that's the weekend of it. Uh, winter camp, it's gonna be an awesome weekend for students. Again, both Marysville and Snohomish coming together for an incredible weekend. We're praying and hoping there's gonna be snow so the kids can have a great time experiencing that. But hey, with that, we hope you have a great day and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Snohomish Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.